0: hello and welcome to this week's episode of shitty christians i'm your host zach realli i'm michael tabor and this week we have a very special guest with us. Our first guest from north of the border. Abdul. Welcome to the pod, fam. Oh, I'm your first I'm your first guest from Canada. <laughs> you are our first non-American guest. Oh wow. Um, yeah, that's crazy actually. <laughs> I guess I I've been it's, listening to your show for so- a minute. I should have known that, but yeah. I mean, you don't have to know all of our guests. It's more just that, like, do you know Americans? We don't know other people. We're sad. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the hyper-nationalism probably doesn't help.
0: This is an alt-right podcast. Welcome.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, when I heard shitty Christians, I thought it would be a great thing because I'm trying to get a message out. Um, I need to buy 600 <laughs> Nike Air Monarchs, and I need them by <laughs> next week. <laughs> Air Monarch or Air Monarch fours? Uh, Air Monarch fours. What uh, the fuck are we the, talking about? Specifically the black <laughs> and white. Specifically the black and yes. white colorway. Um, and oh I need them. Uh, yeah, pronto. Me and my me and my six hundred friends
0: uh, have something special planned. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire population of your province.
2: Yes. Um, for Michael, if you don't know the reference, um, the Heaven's Gate <laughs> cult. <laughs> was uh was found wearing all black and Air Monarch fours uh, every single one of them
1: Is this is this like a sneaker in joke this is just your like cute reference to mass suicide <laughs>
2: yeah. They're actually right. quite expensive by the way like to buy ones that were worn oh, by yeah. the actual uh, uh
1: cult's like, a good yeah. grift man Wait yeah. did you say worn by honest. the actual people is that an option Yeah, yeah like no, the actual items. the actual
0: I gotta be honest. What is this grave robbing that bullshit? That would fucking rule. <laughs> they weren't buried in them. They ascended.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. They clear, you know exactly. They didn't actually die. They they went on to their their greater greater life. So I guess I All guess right. you're right okay. there. Um,
0: we're we're very off topic here. Uh, no, this is this us? is about uh, as no. on
1: topic as this podcast is gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. get. <laughs>
0: We have with us Abdul Malik, and he is a writer, a podcaster, a screenwriter, a general a screenwriter, he works in the Canadian uh, film industry, and general bon vivant. Sneaker man uh,
1: at large.
0: This is the worst thing because, like, you know when, and you know this more than anything,
2: (laughs) Zach, like, you know when you meet someone who works in the film industry and you're like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm an editor, writer, cinematographer, director, right? And you're like, fuck, I hate hate you so much (laughs) because you can obviously (laughs) do none of those things. You have no idea what you're talking about, right? But it's like, And I hate, like, having to, like, introduce myself professionally because it's like, yeah, you know, I I direct commercials for a labor union, but uh, also I'm working on TV series for some major networks, but also I do journalism. Oh, and here's a link to my photography. Uh, I do commercial billboard photography uh, (laughs) as, like, something I moonlight in, right? Oh, and I guess I have a podcast, too, and it's like... Okay, yeah, you know, no one's going to look at you and say, you know, you precocious, multi-talented child. They're just going to say, you, you have no idea what you want or what you're doing out of your life,
0: right?
1: I'm also a Sagittarius, uh, and I like long walks yeah. on the beach.
0: How, how existential are we going to get with this? Like, I, like, sometimes I stare into the void, and I wonder, why am I here? Why are any of us here? I can tell,
1: I can tell both of you exactly why you're here. Because I know the, the outline for this this here podcast. So, Michael, what are we talking We're about? We're going to be talking about a lot of things. We've got a, a really fun impact show. We're going to be talking with Abdul cool. about his recent article in Jacobin, where he takes a look at the sort of luxury sneaker resale market and kind of uses it mm-hmm. as a scrying pool for all the horribleness that like our, our next stage of capitalist dystopia is going to bring to all of us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit with Abdul about his own experience in faith and, and leftist politics and uh, how those things interconnect. And of course, it would not be a shitty Christians episode if we did not check in with some of our favorite evangelical assholes. So we're going to get get into a little bit about what you know Carl Lentz and Jerry <laughs> Falwell down the stairs Jr. have been up to. Uh, but first, Abdul, the reason that I am so excited to have you on this podcast is because uh, you know, not to pull back the curtain on our sort of recording process, <laughs> but every Shitty Christians episode starts with, you know, me and Zach sitting down, we turn on the mics, we thumb wrestle for who intros the episode. And then I do about two to three hours on, you know, whatever video game shenanigans I've been getting up to. Hell yeah. Uh, Hell yeah.
0: And then I cut out the entire. Exactly, And then every single
1: week without fail, Zach uh, excises the entire segment of my genius. Uh, You know, he's really mean about it. He says things like, this is not at all relevant to our podcast or video games are for little bitch babies. Like he's a real (laughs) dick about it. Uh, so I'm excited to have another hashtag gamer on the podcast so that we can get into some gaming discourse. Because as I understand, you've taken not one, but two days off of work in order to play the game of the moment, Cyberpunk 2077.
2: Technically, I am sick today and taking tomorrow off. But yeah. oh, yes. <laughs> are, we, are you fucking darking on our guests? No, it's, it's okay. If, if my boss ever listens to this podcast and like gets me on it i'll consider it an achievement i will actually like that's some oh, deep man. I diving.
0: Mean, i'm emailing him this right now but whatever yeah it's uh m dot no <laughs>
1: <laughs> no dox your boss on this podcast please so uh you've been playing a little bit of cyberpunk i know that your day was a little bit more full than you intended but you know it, it's hit me with your hot takes
2: okay my hot take on cyberpunk as a game is that Okay, one, I really like it. It's a lot of fun. It's quite enjoyable. Like, it's, its mechanisms are flawed. But, like, it is... I don't actually think it's a AAA game yet. Like, I think they'll patch mm. it into it and stuff like that. Like, I don't think it's this big, bombastic game they've been, like, marketing it as. But it is the best Eurojank game ever made. Okay. Um, <laughs> like it is you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like the Kingdom Come Deliverance shit. Oh yes like it's, absolutely. It is doubtless the most ambitious piece of Eurojank ever created and one day it will be developed and patched into like something akin to what they're claiming it was supposed to be. But as it stands now, if you just accept it's Eurojank, uh it, you will have a much better time than anticipating like you know, a blockbuster at the level of, you know, I know the latest Spider-Man or something like I, I played Miles Morales before I played this um, and the, the difference in both visual quality and like just overall rough edges is legitimately staggering
1: yeah i was i was listening to one podcast that described like being in a very pivotal scene where keanu reeves was delivering like very important information about the state of the world and in between every line he would sit and then stand and then sit and then stand and that just sort of continued (laughs) the entire time
2: yeah that's that's par for the course like there have been my share of like weird shitty bugs nothing that extreme yet but it's like I've had three crashes in, like, five hours of playtime, which is a lot. That's more than I'm used to. That's the most crashes I've had in a long time with a game. Okay, actually, 2K21 crashed a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's that's fixed. Only, <laughs> only
1: when you weren't giving it your credit card information, though, right?
2: I, uh, yeah, I, I, I budget $300 a year for 2K. That's my, <laughs> like, 2K budget, and I save... <laughs> I save that money like throughout the year, so that when they announce the new game, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll buy the super deluxe edition because it gives me a discount on the virtual currency I need to enjoy this game, and I just budget something <laughs> extra. And it's just like, yeah, like I'll never go above that limit, but that's the my total spending budget on. And I hate it but every Netflix. year. I hate it. I do it every yeah. time. Yeah.
1: I love. I just love that you're like, hey, this is this is this is my sickness. This is my curse. I spend this amount of money every year on a game that I hate. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, yeah. that that just puts you at about the level of your average like uh, mobile game mom. So like, you're fine, man.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Like I've known people who have thrown like you know five to ten thousand dollars into Star <laughs> Wars Galaxy Christ. of Heroes. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? And it's like. You know, for two K it's I love playing online. It's the I love the like my career stuff. Like the mechanics of the game, especially the PS five one, are like super sound. So it's really hard to say no when it is so much fun when it works, but it's like to get to that point you just need to like yeah, just put an iv drip from your fucking wallet (laughs) you know uh ronnie ronnie 2k's bank account or whatever his name is it sounds
1: like you were already (laughs) playing a cyberpunk dystopia before you picked up cyberpunk
2: yeah uh (laughs) unfortunately yes okay yeah ronnie 2k that's that is there you go Uh, there you go uh
1: we just need to get keanu in as a star player
2: yeah of course ronnie is brown by the way because my (laughs) my people will never Will never pass up an opportunity to rebrand themselves into something infinitely shittier than they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, I, we would be remiss to talk about Cyberpunk without mentioning briefly uh, sort of the labor issues around it and the uh, fairly gamer gaity, dare I say transphobic, like ad uh, social media Ooh. stuff that has been coming out. Have you seen any of that uh, in the actual game or like? uh you know for me i i loved the witcher 3 like that was that was one of my all-time favorite gaming experiences uh, it was a game that my partner got really into and so we spent many like excellent nights hanging out on the couch with her yelling at me for spending too much time crafting potions it was it was genuinely <laughs> like a really fun experience and this game should be my most anticipated game of the year but man has cd project red done everything in its power to just beat that out of me uh whether I've that's never seen like a
2: company ruin its goodwill quicker by the way, it's
1: really nuts because whether that's them being like, oh no, we're not gonna crunch on this game. smash cut to, oh yeah, sorry, we're crunching on this game and also secretly we've been crunching on it for a long time. We just didn't tell anyone. Uh, it's it or you know just they're like hey we're gonna have uh trans people in this game but also like your gender is going to be tied to your vocal register in a weird level of essentialism for a game set in the fucking future like i don't it's just it seems like there's a lot of uh a lot of big whiffs here beyond the jank
2: um so you're actually missing maybe the most uh ridiculous part of their like labor issues which was um they went gold around the same time they delayed the game one more month mm. uh and they did promise 10 percent of their revenues of from the game in 2020 to their employees okay um, but there's there's a conspiracy theory floating around that i actually sort of believe because the game listen 20 days the game was going to be in this broken state regardless of whether they launched it now or on the 19th right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the reason they pushed mm. the reason they pushed the release date was to actually limit the amount of revenue going to employees ooh uh because yeah. they they close that window by 20 days right yeah yeah um,
0: wow but yeah like that, i mean i believe it yeah me too i
2: mean i don't know if it's true they're polish like i believe it but yeah like
0: um <laughs> the thing about race science with Zach to <laughs> Yep. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, listen the the polls are an interesting bunch. I mean, you, Alberta, is,
0: <laughs> Alberta is the is settled How are we by, gonna get canceled uh, by by our no, Polish takes? That's crazy. <laughs> let's fucking go. No, I'm ready. How many Polish plumbers can put it? Do you need to put in a light bulb? Let's go.
2: Um. Yeah, like like there's Alberta is by the way like settled by like dumb Ukrainian farmers and former Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Like it it's
0: yeah no they 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 all have uh uh marble obelisks to the SS. We actually do.
2: Like like twenty minutes away from me, there's a monument to there's a monument to a literal uh, uh like Adam Waffen division guy. Fuck. Uh, at the Ukrainian youth hall. Yeah, like um. But yeah, like, you know, so, and my partner is technically of Slavic descent, so I can't say this, um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes it okay. Um, In regards to, like, how much of that showed up into the, in the game, like, aside from the character creator, right. nothing yet. I am mm. only five hours in. Um, sure. Like, the game is tries really hard to be edgy, but comes across uh, far less so, you know what I mean? Like, it really does play, like, a tabletop RPG cyberpunk game of, like where everything is tech lingo and like slightly forced tech speak um yeah yeah which which isn't to say i'm not enjoying it i like it's it's weird with this game because like obviously it's marketing and like everything around it was extraordinarily reprehensible 100 percent. but it feels it does feel like there was a bit of a divide between whoever was Sort of charged with doing the marketing versus whatever the game actually ended up being, uh I really do feel that way so far. I mean that might change. There's obviously like a ton of I'm not gonna call it deliberate oversight i I don't think it was deliberate again, they are Polish, but there is like a ton of of <laughs> oversight around stuff like like gender even in just right. character creator right mm. um, around the way they they represent trans people, even the like epilepsy controversy that's happening right now. Yeah right. Um, which also furthers my sort of idea that it is like and this is where I think the Polish thing has more validity than, you know, dumples, but like, um it where it is like part of that like Eurojank aspect, right? Where it, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, we're we're trying, but obviously you're not trying hard enough and like you don't try enough to like actually get involved into the in the thing you're trying to represent, right? It's like seeing sort of the world outside your game studio being like you should do this and being like yeah we'll do this but like you know you read a wikipedia article on what it means to be a trans person <laughs> and, totally. and implement that right um and it really does feel that way like not to not to excuse it uh too much or to like excuse no that's it that's all, not like an like excuse that's no. a
1: condemnation <laughs> like that is that is yeah. not an acceptable level of investment
2: absolutely um, not i mean like i think you just sort of have to accept that we should ask for it to be better. But like, also I do find it frustrating that people, not you guys, obviously, but like people online, like you put your hopes and dreams on, on this like thing that's ultimately designed to be like a a money mill for the worst people. Crassly commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not just, it's supposed to be a money mill for the worst people and they know the kind of people who are buying it, (laughs) right? Like their marketing isn't, isn't meant for, someone who's you know who puts trans rights in their bio even like the did you assume my gender shit they were throwing online last year oh god yeah they want the worst people to buy it and they know those are the people who will be the ones putting up five-hour youtube videos being like cyberpunk is awesome doing the soy face the whole fucking time right (laughs) like
1: yeah no 100 percent. i mean i i think they made a decision a while ago about where their bread is buttered and you know it's a big enough company that probably not everyone involved was on the same page about that but uh certainly man uh some people made some choices
2: yeah and it's like nominal progressivism and it's like i the one take i saw yesterday that i wanted to like throw my head at a wall was like um, people were saying call of duty was more like people were lauding call of duty for being more progressive than Jesus uh, than cyberpunk because you could use and I've played Cold War by the way like because you can use they them pronouns and Ronald Reagan will refer to Ronald you, Reagan will call you those they pronouns. them yeah as he yeah, denies
1: just, you treatment for the AIDS epidemic he will call you they them it's just, well like, done guys the bar,
2: yeah is the bar this low like we're not <laughs> we're not we're not talking about what we should be asking for we we're, we're talking about what we've gotten you know what I mean which is kind yeah of the problem yeah. we're when, debating the crumbs yeah. And that's the problem with, like, maybe leftism in general, actually. <laughs> but, like, articulated quite specifically through, like, people being like, man, Call of Duty loves trans people. It's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it knows you can make doesn't. money off of you, you dumb fuck. You know what I mean? Like-
0: <laughs> it's the same fucking thing when Joe Biden got would, like, mention trans people once in a speech. It's like, he doesn't like them more than Bernie. Bernie wanted to pay for all of their health care, which is a big issue in the community You fucking idiots
2: Yeah, it's it's reprehensible. It's absolutely reprehensible. And like I don't know where that sort of like the cynicism of it all,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Like the cynicism of ronald Reagan calling you they and them.
0: And then they turn around and go, like what, you don't want representation? Like you don't like Biden mentioning trans people? It's like that's it's not the point is that you should Yeah, representation is a bare
2: minimum. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. you shouldn't have to laud people for representation. You should be, you know, you should be pushing for so much, which people are doing with with cyberpunk. To be fair, but like, that doesn't mean that that you should be. You should be using
0: Call of Duty as an exemplar, right? <laughs> like as, God as, as, no! Um, yeah,
1: please never
0: ever. <laughs> Call of Duty that blames the USSR for American war crimes. Yeah, let's let's yeah. go there. It's like your mom. It's like your mom, like um, you know,
2: uh, comparing your like moderately successful kid to their like shitty washout brother because he calls <laughs> even though it's just asking for her money half the time, right? Like that's exactly what what it feels like when people. Uh, like com- like use so- like compare cyberpunk and get something like Call of Duty. It's like no 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 no.
1: Two things can be bad. Now that we've yeah. canceled all video games forever. Sorry Pulse, sorry. <laughs> <And Polish laughs> uh. Uh, let's check in if we can on a couple on a couple of guys. You know we we care about the dudes here. This is a dudes rock podcast. Oh yeah. So we're gonna check in on some dudes. So first of all. Uh, I don't know, so a couple weeks ago we talked about Carl Lentz, the former head pastor of Hillsong, New York, one of the sort of Biggest megachurches with lots of famous fuckers that showed up, hurrah. Uh, And we did a pretty (laughs) deep dive on sort of both Carl and the church in general. So we're just going to do a quick update. Uh, New York Times did an article this weekend about Carl alleging not just the one affair that had been publicly known at that time, but that this was in fact a pattern of behavior stretching out over multiple affairs, sort of with not a lot of detail about what exactly that looks like, but certainly like allegations that this was just the norm. To the shock and surprise of absolutely no one.
2: I've never seen Carl Lentz before. I'm looking him up right now. Oh, my friend. He he looks (laughs) like. um, He's hot. Yeah, he looks like Justin Timberlake crossed with like Post Malone, but without face tattoos. Like, yep, I see there's something about. Yeah, I don't I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no we described he so yeah without getting too much into carl's look from a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it uh the 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 original height priest uh a man who who sort of aped streetwear traditions without necessarily like pulling them off per se maybe a little try hard um but yeah uh, I-
0: he, he's got a very Maroon 5 vibe is what we ended up deciding. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, I think those face tattoos might be coming for Carl. Because as it turns <laughs> out, Carl checked into a program. Uh, yes. He checked into a program specifically for uh, depression. And the actual, like, program that he checked into is specifically for famous people struggling with depression. This is in no way, for the record, an attempt to shit on anyone who is struggling with mental health. Uh, but it's... Maybe just a wee bit sus that uh, Carl decided to take to bow out at this exact moment as more of these allegations were coming up and just being like, peace, deuces, I'm going into treatment, bye forever. Uh, and so that's where Carl is now. Carl is sipping uh, pina coladas and doing body shots just like he was doing in Australia at a very uh, high-end treatment center. And meanwhile, you know, his wife and kids are still getting harassed by the paparazzi all the time.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm looking up his sneaker game right now. Also, uh, this is very yeah, relevant. Yes, he's wearing he's wearing KD's uh, uh-huh. in one photo. He has he does have some off whites and, oh, there is a photo of him in the um, in the uh, Fear of God raids. The Air Fear of Gods. You know,
0: I'm talking yeah, about yeah. the boot design. Are they the one, the yeah. ones right? The Fear of God ones.
2: Yeah, the fear They've, of God ones, the- but he's wearing the black, not the oatmeal or the mm, white, which is uh, disgusting,
0: by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, just I'm, I'm repulsed. Uh, I also just think I'm, I know the. I know they're cool, but they just they're so big. I kind of can't deal with the fog ones. <laughs>
1: like, Guys, we have, have you... a whole sneaker segment in our podcast.
2: <laughs> Shut up, Michael. Listen, I don't I don't have a personality, Michael. I can talk about four things. I can talk about sports, <laughs> politics, video games, and sneakers. Those are my my four personalities. Okay, you know types. what? We're gonna fair be best fair enough. Uh, I'm just going to
1: ask as a person that thinks that all sneakers are bad, uh, what the fuck are you people talking talking
2: about as a, as a person of, of bare feet <laughs> yes
1: exactly uh, i i uh i walk in moccasins just like uh our, our spiritual leaders from the old testament oh
2: are you the are you the one person who buys uh what are they called what's that shitty online sneaker brand called Allbirds. are you an all <laughs> guy michael fuck
1: <laughs> 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 okay okay for the record I am actually a boots guy. I'm a Red Wing's guy. Got my got okay. my uh, got my like, you All know, right. get get it resold, take care of the thing, keep it going for several years. That's my actual vibe. Now, is there a pair of Allbirds in my closet? Go fuck yourself. Is the answer to that question?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: uh fuck, I did not intend to be this scene on the podcast. <laughs>
2: So oh, um, yeah, I take that. I, I just want to say I rest my case. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, I have had the fear of God once put in me. I suppose
0: that would that would be rough. Uh, Michael, let's check in on Jerry Falwell Jr. What's going okay, on with him? Okay, so Jerry
1: Falwell Jr. Update on him: We have two two little details. One, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. There was a report that came out from uh, one of his many victims alleging that Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife actually had a list, a uh, a hot or not list, as it were, where they would, in fact, rank students at their university in terms of how much they wanted to bang them, Uh, which, again, for people that have been listening to the podcast or following uh, the fall of Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, this is not going to be a shocker, but it is, I don't know, there is something sort of particularly putrid about the sort of inanity of their awfulness.
2: I was just going to say, like, it's it's not surprising, but, like, the brazenness of it, you know what I mean? Like, never mm-hmm. ceases to, to surprise me. Like, it's, like, the fact they do these things, yeah, sure. Uh, but the fact that they, like, make them so public and that they do it in such an obvious way is always shocking. Like, you'd think that these people would just know how to tiptoe, how to tiptoe around their, like, shittiness better than, like, your, you know, the priest in your neighborhood, right? Or something like that
1: yeah no i it, it at a certain point it starts to feel like the brazenness is the point like it's about getting away with it publicly because yeah they, they clearly kept this script going for years michael are
0: you describing exhibitionism
1: <laughs> no. uh listen i can't speak to that one way or another uh i can't i can't speak about where i've walked in my all birds and what else i was wearing at the time that's all i have to say about that
2: <laughs>
1: i don't know yeah it's uh it's gross uh, the other thing that Jerry Falwell Jr. has been up to, uh, he dropped his defamation suit against Liberty University, uh, which is pretty fun because uh, I really thought he was going to take that all the way. He said that he was, he was just, you know, he was taking a timeout uh, just to, just to <laughs> give it a little time. He wasn't closing any doors, he was going to keep his options open, but he wanted to take a timeout, which I think is a good move for Jerry. You know, if we keep him in the corner, he's less likely to fall down the stairs like he did a couple months ago.
2: I mean, the term, the timeout really should be uh, permanent.
0: (laughs) I mean, like,
1: (laughs) yes, stay in that corner, maybe lock the door behind you. You know,
0: the thing is he's young relative. He's not young. He's in his fifties, but he's not that old. He's famous. He's rich. He's got a right wing audience. He'll be, he'll be on some sort of train running for governor of Virginia, uh, Senator. He'll be doing some, some other grift here we even know it see
1: i i'm very curious about that because i agree all these guys rebrand but like the successfulness of the rebrand i think is an open question because i think both carl and jerry Mm Fowler jr are going to really struggle with the rebrand their falls were just a little too public and a little too uh comprehensive i think like you know just in in terms of how much shit there is about jerry falwell jr i don't i don't know if political office is in his future i could see a podcast i could see a podcast where he sells sells (laughs) prepper supplies you know jimmy baker style
2: but he's he's such a like you know not for nothing jerry falwell jr for his age um like dresses and carries himself very well like yes i know beards are makeup for men but like he's not he's not okay man okay you already got me
1: on the all birds you don't have to call out the beard too
2: I also have a beard, <laughs> um, but he's not like just get married. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a bad-looking guy. Like he is the exact no. model, like aesthetically, of someone like uh, a you know a capital L liberal media would love to rehabilitate, mm. right? Like mm. he yeah. is exact, and he's smooth. He's a smoother talker than than his dad too. Like he yeah. he does or, have that or Don Junior, yeah, exactly. Like he he is totally. Um, redeemable in the eyes of the media just based off like how he looks and his like ability to communicate and his usefulness to like a liberal media class right around like pushing a yep. a Republican project that's not necessarily Trump if he re- renounces Trump tomorrow people will jump on it and respect
0: him fuck you know immediately right I love this he becomes the evangelical Mitt Romney
2: yes oh a 100% that's exactly it fuck that's insightful
0: man
1: It's very upsetting to me that, like, the Lincoln Project is just the model now. (laughs) I don't love that. Respect
0: the grift.
2: You got to respect the grift.
1: Uh, Impressive coming in with an even more black-pilled take than this podcast already is sort of (laughs) dedicated on. I love it. I love it.
2: I'm just looking at Jerry Falwell Jr. now, and I'm thinking, like, you know what? If he was, like, my, my, I don't know, political science professor at university, I'd probably have loved him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. He looks that's like, a great analogy. He looks like the
2: prof who would, like, invite, you know, seven of his favorite students to his house for dinner and some cognac. Like, Yeah, that's it's, exactly it's, yeah. what he
1: did. That's what the fucking problem was, as it turned out.
2: <laughs> oh, but I meant, I meant in a clean way, right? Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh man! Uh, see, listen, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the over under on this and just say that, like, no, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s reboot is doing an actual trailer, Trailer Park Boys remake with his family as a reality show. Like they already, they already shot the trailer. Um, they had it on a yacht. I think that is his future is just really making that real life.
2: Keeping up with the Falwells,
0: baby. Following the Falwells. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. Falling We would, well.
0: we would do a spit off podcast. About every episode. Oh yeah, I mean that wouldn't even be a spinoff. That would
1: just be our be our podcast.
0: Yeah, that would be the Patreon episode. Yeah, actually,
1: Falling Well would be a pretty good uh, name for a podcast about like a redemption story starring Jerry Falwell Jr.
0: Come on, Michael, let's make it happen. Fuck. Let's be part of his redemption
1: story. Okay, Respect listen. The
2: Grift. You, know, you would you would you would make so. Do you ever think about this? Like I think about this a lot as like someone who's like a POC, um, and like a uh, an uh, like. Out, outright you know uh, anarcho-communist or whatever but it's like mm-hmm. I would if I just like turned heel one day called like um, Ezra at the uh, at Rebel News or whatever mm-hmm. and I was like I am renouncing leftism and I <laughs> I want to talk about you know how Ayn Rand is my hero and do a documentary on Dinesh D'Souza's struggle like I would be so
0: fucking You'd rich be a millionaire. I would make so yeah. much money
1: the Michael Jordan documentary, but it was about Dinesh D'Souza.
2: Oh yeah. And,
0: <laughs> no, and that and, is and, when I made and, it and, personal. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. no, it's like it's like a picture of like Biden Biden winning or whatever. And it's like and that's when it became personal for me.
1: <laughs> no, I mean like you would you wouldn't make so much bank because you have a little authenticity. Like they they yep. can't actually find that. They you know, whether it's Dave Rubin or Candace Owens, like these people were always monsters. But if they were to able to actually get somebody that was on the left sort of publicly for a while, oh man, that's their dream.
2: Even nominally, Wait. even someone who just they yep. didn't even like I'm not I'm not like a big Twitter account or like a super well known leftist guy, right? But you can just go through my history and see everything I've said and be like, he renounced this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that's all you need.
0: He, he wasn't Jacobin, and now he's one of us. <laughs> if you're gonna do it, now's the moment. This is the time. I think this is when you start. You start saying, you know, I, I think that lawsuit that Trump is waging has some merits in this it. This is this
1: is how you get your sneaker.
0: Yes, this is how produced by produced by Jerry Falwell Jr. You know, we'll start a fucking. Or- Dude, the North American right would eat up a like right-wing reactionary guy from a muslim background they would eat that up oh 100% and
2: you know what the ones who have there are a couple who have tried to break into that but they're yeah, but they're sure. a old right not go- right. not a good look yeah, of course b they're they're too willing to be tokenized like the thing about Candace <laughs> Owens is that she owns her blackness in such a way that it like she thinks it makes it harder for people to like judge her, which is like obviously untrue, but conservatives eat that up. They're like, oh, she's like a young, slick, black woman who's like unapologetically black and unapologetically uh, you know, basically an altright white supremacist, right? Yes. But it's like it's that little edge <laughs> it's that little edge to her that makes her such a, a compelling figure to like um to like mm-hmm. right wing luminaries and, and reactionaries, right? And that's what what you need to keep. Like, that's why, you know, and, and again, like, every day I wake up and I pray that I lose what what little morality I have left, right? <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, I worked for a labor union. I could just say, I worked for a labor union. Now I think they should all be shut down.
1: Shit, man. There is coke money at your door right now. Like, right, you open that <laughs> yeah, door. No, you- <laughs> there's a man with a briefcase and a gun. And I, I don't even know what you're supposed to do with the gun. But he's there and he knows.
0: <laughs> it's like you have two choices Look, right man. now. <laughs> <laughs> we live in L.A. You want to talk about selling out? We understand. Man, Harder I than I it's wish
2: I was Yeah, I wish I could sell out.
0: <laughs> this feels like a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Abdul, so... This is a, a. We are interested in all facets of people's background, religion, etc. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your religious upbringing, and if you don't mind, a little bit about where you are at with that now, how it might relate to your politics?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm very happy to talk about that because I think, like, I think my experience growing up is very different from a lot of Muslims I know. Uh, because mm-hmm. I grew up in like a fairly devout Muslim family, but it was also you know in its own way interestingly progressive like my parents are both from Pakistan India right like I have three siblings all of whom are more than a decade older than me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm like the youngest by like 10 years right but they're all yeah and like the way I describe it and I, I mean no anti-semitism with this <laughs> I know it's a great preface by the way <laughs> but like,
0: you know, um, Are
2: you gonna get us canceled, Oprah? No, no. Like it, and I've, I've said this before, and people tend to understand what I mean. It was like a very Jewish-Muslim family. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's that Philip Roth model of like you know middle to upper middle class like mm. sort of intellectuals who have um, a lot of undiagnosed <laughs> mental mm-hmm. health issues uh, and like <laughs> like to to pick each other apart at the dinner table right like i'm the only person in my family without a master's degree um and you know and stuff like that my brother teaches at yale or whatever um
1: or whatever
0: yeah. whatever <laughs> can't he's canceled
2: you know, and it's like, it's like you know, we, we grew up, you know, very comfortable and, like, stuff like that. You know, my parents sent me to Islamic school, and I hated it. And, like, you know, we had, you know, quite abusive teachers there and stuff like that that, like, really alienated me from, like, a Muslim upbringing and then also, like, growing up as, like, the youngest by, like, 10 mm. years as your parents are getting older. Like, my dad's 80, my mom's uh, 70, right, 75. Wow. Yeah, so it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, you know, you, you're you pretty distant from your parents and, like, your siblings are all gone, like, moved out, and it's, like, oh, like, now you're trying to, like, navigate the world of, like, the Western world and, like, you know... um. Muslim life, right? Like, mm, uh, mm. and you attribute like you know your social unevenness to the fact that your family is like a little different from most white families. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, which yeah. I think like mm-hmm. I think lends lends a lot of like rejection to like uh, Islamic faith and like you know even to this day. Like, you know, I've had lots of girlfriends. I've lived with a lot of partners. I live with my partner right now. Never told my family. Brag. Right. Right.
0: yeah, <laughs> Totally. My, my parents don't know about this podcast, so I totally understand. Wait, <laughs> do
1: they like, really not know about this podcast?
0: Oh, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my mom <laughs> yells at me every week for this podcast. How are you getting away with it?
0: Uh, my parents are not very online. Oh,
1: man. See, every week my mom's like, what are you talking about? And then she explains why I'm an asshole for talking about it.
0: No, my parents Hell don't yeah. like have social media. My parents literally don't have any social media. No,
1: I mean this is phone calls. I just tell her. I'm just like, yeah, we're going after whatever guy whose book you have five of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But that's back so on great. topic. So, much more important. That's awesome. Back on topics. Like us, you lie to your family. <laughs>
2: uh frequently, right? And that's actually like a big thing with yeah. with people like me is like, you know, for me the the coming out conversation to my family that I have had yet to have is like, you know, I'm living with an infidel uh, and also we've been living together for five years. And also uh, we're moving back <laughs> to my hometown. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's right. like not an easy conversation to have. Cause none of my siblings went through that process. Like they married mm-hmm. Muslim people and they did it the, you know, quote unquote respectful way and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of, there was a lot of friction to unpack and like, uh, but, mm-hmm. but I think along that process, and I think this isn't unique uh, to me either is like, um, you like I sort of came back to Islam uh, later once I could yeah. approach it on my own terms. You know I mean not my parents' terms, which was mm-hmm. like super important. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it's like you know their <laughs> their ideation of faith is like very well meaning, and they're not like you know they're not like your typical idea. Like I had I had friends who, you know, grew up in in Muslim families where their life was pretty much ordained for them. Right. Like immigrant kids who. Right you know when you're ready just tell me and i'll call up the aunties and i'll find you a wife and you're gonna go get a computer science degree and like my sister has a degree Mm. in fucking semiotics you know i mean i'm a university (laughs) dropout um like you know my my brother is like a a you know spiritual studies professor and like we were we're liberal educated not you know doctor lawyer engineer types right Uh it's like it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, yeah, I think that that coming back to it on my own terms and being able to, like, approach it outside of, like, my family's paradigm of, like, do whatever you want and, like, we're not going to find you a wife. You have to go out and do that yourself, but, like, make sure she's Muslim. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> um, and, like, you know, because the aunties would call her up and be, like, hey, is your is your daughter still single? And she'd be, like, fuck off, right? That was my mom. Mm. Um and it's, like, but, yeah, even even within that, like, very liberal Islamic paradigm, it's still, like, I, mm-hmm. I would like to still sort of conceive of faith and what it means to me uh, on my own, right? It's, like, oh, no, you can sort of embrace this and just, you know, d- embrace the, like, version of Islam that, like, sort of works for you as long as you obey a couple of core tenets and uh, pray God will forgive you for the rest, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, which I, I actually think is not also an uncommon Ideation of Islam or most religions. Um, yeah. You know, totally. I think that, that the idea of, of, of literal tenets, even nominally, um, are is kind of bullshit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's a, the, the way I try to apply to sort of faith uh, practically, right? Like, it's it's right. not, like I think you have to take an anthropological view of religion as much as you take a spiritual view of it. Um, you really have to consider contextually, you know, the era a religion, like emerged in and what a lot of this means sort of contextual to the culture you're in as well hey hey
1: hey just because uh in the old testament they didn't start talking about angels until they met other cultures that had angels that doesn't mean that (laughs) no i'm (laughs) kidding
2: (laughs) and see that that's exactly it right like it's it's totally like oh yeah I, i go back to like the the clothes of mixed fiber stuff and stuff like that right it's like You know, there's a million anthropological explanations for that. No one follows it anyway. So what is your latitude if you're, like, you're either completely literal or you have to understand that that religion is a figurative interpretation of core spiritual tenets that are largely fixed, right? And those tenets are pretty common across most religions as well.
1: Yeah, and... and even for, you know, maybe some of our listeners that that don't feel exactly that way, the idea that, like, literalism is toxic, that, like, 100%. literalism is is an incredibly dangerous idea that locks you into, like, ideology that is very, very dangerous is, like, it, 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 I think it's, it's one of the worst things that, you know, not to jump away from your discussion back to evangelical church, but, like, the literalism of, like, an evangelical church, I think it does almost it sets up more damage than anything else um because it it just it it is a blinder that refuses to allow people to engage with the complexity of of context of textual analysis of history and it just says nope none of that fucking matters only my interpretation of this passage matters and it's i think it's deadly i think it's deadly to any sort of like healthy spirituality uh to to just say like no it's all god inspired fuck you if you have any different interpretation or any context you want to provide for this
2: oh yeah a hundred percent
0: yeah i i I, you know i i think my own background is extremely similar um abrahamic faith conservative at least for me very conservative background left it for a while came back to it on my own terms blah blah blah
1: yeah, you describing like leaving your faith and coming back to it on a different like terminology <laughs> is is basically the premise of this podcast. Uh, <laughs>
0: and
2: it is like it is interesting hearing you guys talk and and guys like you know mm-hmm. the Magnificast for for example, right? Which Magnificast, faith
1: from- and capital. We got a yeah. lot of g- great people on our team.
2: And and the, uh, like you know the the prevailing part of that is like people, um, you know, you guys and a lot of those guys all came from like very strict. Uh, religious upbringings right and it's like it's it is interesting hearing that someone who came up from like the most liberal islamic upbringing Mm -hmm, you could have mm -hmm. you know what i mean like and just seeing what like oh this is like an inversion (laughs) of like a very common cliche
1: (laughs) (laughs) no it's fascinating because i feel like i feel like the christian version of this is you're an episcopalian minister who's functionally a unitarian and like you never develop any (laughs) revolutionary podcast because you never had to like dig your way out of any bullshit uh but actually like (laughs) that's not your path you you like you use that freedom to like develop yourself in a way that like frankly if i had grown up in your upbringing i don't think i would have i think i would have been like hey cool like check it out here's my wife now
0: that part actually sounds nice if i didn't have to like go out and like talk to women (laughs) Uh, date fuck
1: tinder come on man auntie's got the game
2: (laughs) yeah aunties yo don't yeah don't sleep oh, on, on Ahti's ability to match me. I would
0: never. You know, a little bit. Um, uh, do you want to expand on sort of your faith now, or do you want to talk about how you became a communist? I mean,
2: both. I, yeah, my faith now is, you know, I, I for the first time in my life, I think I'm comfortable, like, mm-hmm. sort of self-identifying as a Muslim, um, which I think it took me a long time to get to this point. Uh, like, obviously, there's still stuff I, like, struggle with within that, you know, paradigm, especially related to, like, mm-hmm. the upbringing and what you can or can't do, right? But it's like, you know, I'm reading right. religious texts on my own time <laughs> um, and and trying to make, make sense of, like, what, what Islam means to me and the different mud yep. hubs, right? Like, the different schools of Islamic thought mm. and, you know, sort of their interpretive relationships to... I assume to, this is just like a know, hardcore Wahhabist message like,
0: about to hit come, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I try to I try to follow I try to literally follow um the life of the prophet in every way except that I I choose to figuratively interpret the idea of the bow and arrow as meaning can also mean like an AK-47, right? Um uh, cuz like that is the and when we talk about literalism, right? Like Wahhabis Wahhabis should uh, should be riding on horseback with bows and arrows, right. you know, um, but like, that's, I know. Yeah. It would I be know. fucking awesome. Right. It would be like a scene from a, a, from a movie made in like 1950 with Alec Guinness or something, but like, <laughs> it'd be um, way cooler. Yeah. Like the, that's the, the rough part. Right. And it's like, also, you know, I, I do have like a keen interest in like the, the Maliki mud hub, which is like very much the one of the dominant Islamic schools of thought in Africa where, you can own dogs, right? It, it, it sort of folds a lot. Yeah. That's the, my favorite thing about it is you can't own dogs. If a dog touches your clothes, you have to wash your clothes seven times and once with dirt. Um, but like, (laughs) I know it sucks. Yeah. That's why when most, most like new Muslim immigrants you'll meet, especially from like my neck of the woods, like Pakistan, India are scared shitless of dogs, no matter how friendly the dog. Um, like, I remember when my cousins came to visit from Pakistan when I was, like, a oh. little kid, like, you know, our neighbor had a dog and they would, like, at one time the dog ran towards them as they were, like, biking and they jumped off the bike and ran inside and started crying. Um, <laughs> I did the like- same thing the first
1: time I met an atheist. <laughs>
2: Um, but yeah, like, like the Maliki Mudhub also rolls in a lot of like, I don't want, like using the word mysticism, yeah. but a lot of like African uh, tribal spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. It was a way to like mm-hmm. make Islam compatible with, with basically yeah, like, tribal cultural norms and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. Yeah, because it gives you a lot of, a lot of leeway. And it's like an interesting interpretive relationship to the faith there, right? And Like Sufism, which is you know a a sort of islam that's felt very spiritually (laughs) right um and also trying to disentangle because like sufi mysticism is actually very cool and very rad Mm. but also trying to disentangle that from like the white superstructure that's claimed it as like
0: (laughs) a new age shit right Right. like Mm. i've spent
2: i've spent time with like sufi mystics in in turkey and stuff like that in morocco um You know, because my brother's work, um, not McKinsey, thank goodness, but like the CIA, (laughs) it's um, okay, (laughs) yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, I have been lucky enough to spend that time, and there is something really compelling about the sort of mystic, like the legitimate mysticism, and the idea of like trances, and the idea of like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're there, you're also there to have a good time, right? right? Yeah, like you have. Mm the Sufi mystics next to the next to the hookah set up right and you're like getting yourself (laughs) into this like spiritual euphoria um and it's like okay you know there is there is something here and like then also struggling with just you know the morality of being a human being is its own right separate thing on top of that right like yeah it's it's an interesting thing but I'm I'm happy to, like, say I'm a Muslim now, and I was never that way, right? Like, even mm-hmm. when I was, like, dating and stuff like that, like, it would be something I would, like, hide very much or, like, try to distance myself from most of the people I've dated are white, which, you know, should talk about how colonized I've, I am. But, like, <laughs> you <laughs> know, that's, that, definitely rolled, that definitely rolled into it. And I think, again, that's something yeah. that a lot of people um, uh, who come from, like, a background very similar to mm-hmm. mine Um, sort of uh, engage with. And I should never have done that anyway because, like, my family's pretty, like, again, liberal, progressive, like, Muslims, you know what I mean? Right.
1: No, it's interesting in some ways the way that, like, your, your, the liberalness of your upbringing in some ways made you more aware of, like, the ways in which you were, in fact, different.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. that, Is that fair? Yeah, because I also didn't have a a bubble, right? Like, I didn't get along very well with other Muslim kids and like you know I was I also came from a family that was you know just different enough from theirs that we just didn't mesh in like a material Mm -hmm. way right most Mm -hmm. of my friends were white Protestant
0: people right and Uh, here you are to this day yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Absolutely sick, you know. <laughs> I can't believe you, you're you on this podcast. I'm Fundamentally
1: so broken. Thank God you never yeah. have to hang out with any of those douchebags. I, now
0: I rejected
2: them the same time I started reading Sayed Khatib. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird to see how, like, you know, these sort of bubbles and stuff form, right? Because lots of people I mm-hmm. grew up with who were like the the Muslim clique in whatever school I was going to, um, you know, just haven't emerged from that, right? Like it's a very self-contained Muslim community. They sort of exist in stuff like that. And like compared to like my siblings who are, you know, very interfaith in terms of their dialogues, their conversations of the world and the, the people they hang out with and keep as friends. Right. While still yeah. being, you know sort of us st- more devoutly muslim in a very typical way than than i am right And <laughs> yeah, the way they've yeah. sort of hedged those two things i think is really admirable and that's something i i'm not able to do but something i i appreciate about them no
1: like th- th- that's another path that is in in and of itself beautiful even if it's not the path that you walked like the fact that, that you know they walked a different path than you but are still able to like engage in all these different ways i th- you know I would. Yeah, I would never want to say that the only. The, you know, I I hear your story and I feel you know a lot of kinship with it in my own like path of faith. And but I never want to make the mistake of assuming that is the only way to like live. Even though clearly it's the path we've chosen. But you know we're all assholes. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, definitely get that. Uh, yeah. I, I once had a a good friend say that he was he was Christian but culturally atheist. And and I I feel a lot of I feel a lot of truth in that statement. <laughs> 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 I get that. I feel
2: that. Yeah, you know I mean, like that. That that strikes me deeply, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard, you know, because there's also a question I think we all ask ourselves: is like, are we nominally this thing because we just have an existential fear of dying, and we we want to hedge <laughs> our bets, right? Yeah. It's like. No, you, you. yeah, well, yes, but you also, you know, while you're there, you you need to find value in it. Otherwise, you'll never feel, like, spiritually whole. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You always feel like an imposter, and you don't have the Jerry Falwell Jr. type of, like, nihilist, complete, abject <laughs> lack of morality that you're able yeah. to, like, sink into it and just forget about that part of it, right?
1: No, totally. Like, I I would never have been able to continue my faith without – walking into a deeper understanding of how my faith could connect with the world around me and uh you know that 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 uh the socialism that i now carry is is essential to the continuation of my faith uh as a reflection of that and and you know thanks mom for understanding that just kidding but uh <laughs> no, it, it, oh no that that actually is like, you know, when when she's, you know, very upset with me for some of the things that I say, I'm just like, "Hey, mom, listen, like I'm your one kid that is genuinely a person of faith." Right. And in part that is because like I have done the work. I I have carried the torch. I have I have delved into the path to like understand like what that looks like, not just for me, but what I think is personally a better reflection of you know the scriptures that we study and the faith that we carry and the god that we worship and like you know that that path like that's the only way this happens otherwise i'm i'm off in a corner doing a lot of other things
0: he's talking about masturbating i don't know if that's clear
1: (laughs) i'm i'm in the corner with jerry Falwell jr what we're doing is none of your business
0: (laughs) well it is his wife's business but uh (laughs) that's Mm. because she's recording (laughs) yeah
2: exactly i was gonna say like i think i also think that's where like finding good christian socialists and like looking at the history of Mm -hmm. of of socialism and anarchism as it relates to your religion is so key yeah i mean because these are people who have made it work and found such a such a deep uh sense of like um of like meshing faith and politics, you know what I mean? More than like any of us ever
0: will, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, hey, 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 look, we have a podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have never, I've never been more jealous than when I was listening to Kino Lefter and I heard you be like, hey, Magnificast, like, hit us up. And I was like, those motherfuckers. <laughs> 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 is this just because they're smart and they, like, actually read books and have thoughts instead of just shitting on everything? This is a call out, Magnificast. Stop
2: being so good at your
0: podcast. God damn it. But,
2: like, even the, the like, base of, like, socialism as it exists today right before Marx it was it was uh, Claude Henry Saint Simone right he's mm-hmm. it, like mm-hmm. that dude was a Christian oh yeah that dude was a, was a Christian but he was he was a Christian who like as far as I understand it largely rejected precepts of um, schism right like he, yeah. he rejected he rejected uh, and I'm not obviously an expert but like he rejected largely the idea of like Catholicism and Protestantism and like in favor of like what is an essentialist view of God and like how can we create a social project that furthers that right it's like okay that is when you look at socialism you have to understand the role that like christianity played in being such a like foundational element of this like pre-marx even um approach to like socialist thought yeah and, right and, yeah and, and take I, that adam johnson I don't, and
0: i don't want to take credit <laughs> for everything but like pretty much nothing good or bad coming out of europe for about 1500 years doesn't in some way relate to some of the precepts of christianity the fucked up thing is that that also includes like nazism and fascism but you know yeah i was gonna say i was gonna
1: say i'm not i'm not sure if we want to you know as christians if we want to bring that up that's fine it's just not gonna look great for us in the in the long run i think
2: (laughs) i mean it's it's a bit of both right i'm also of the opinion that religion has done like largely done more good than harm in the world Mm. because like when we look like when we look at history, we don't ever tend to look at history as, like, a, a long process. We only focus in on key events, right. which are, unfortunately, violent events, right? Of like course. Like, events of, of conflict. And it's, like, that's where I think this, like, you know, sort of militant atheist dogmatism around, like, you know, oh, religion is universally bad comes from, right? Rather than, like, you know, the thousands of years of, like, uninterrupted good and, like, mm-hmm. you know, general progress that's been made under, uh, you know, overwhelmingly religious societies and history and stuff like that, right? Or even just not a Christian essentialist view, like, you know, tribal religions, um, you know, Eastern religions and stuff like that. It's all, like, very... Like, you can't just look at religion as, like, a single thing marked by key events in history that people on, like, the history subreddit like to talk about, right? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I talked about this
0: last week with Adam, but, like, the you if you if you're a marxist and your understanding of much of history is about material concerns and governments and sort of groups fighting over resources it's it actually is not a religious thing like the government's going to use the powers that be whoever's fighting are going to use whatever ideological tools are at hand like it could be it could be Christian- Christianity. It could be. It could be anything. Like it doesn't. Like these- it be Christianity. Yeah, by the sorry. way, I, I love that you almost said Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it. Like it. It doesn't matter, right? Like it's. It's. You know, you go into. Or you know, we can make it modern day. You go into Iraq saying you're gonna give them democracy or weapons of mass destruction or to you know free the women. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's all just. It has nothing to do with actual religion. See, I don't know if
1: I totally agree with that, and that I think that there are certain precepts, and I'm just going to speak on my own corner here and say of Christianity that tie in very neatly with our history of imperialism and colonialism, and that, like, we have to own that personally, and that, like, yes, I agree, the power structures will use whatever is at hand, but that doesn't. My fear is only that that becomes a like carte blanche pass is like, well, whatever it was, it was going to be bad. That keeps us from engaging with the specific ways in which our history of faith and Christianity has been used to justify so many of these issues, which doesn't mean you're wrong. It's just a nuance that like we also need to own our own shit. Of course. Even as I agree with you that the power will always exploit whatever's around it.
2: Yeah, and, like, also religion isn't, like, despite what people may say, I also don't think religion is a direct ladder to hierarchy, right? Um, like, I think that that's also, uh, like, been misconstrued by power. And if you take a materialist view to it, it is it is leveraging whatever, you know, whatever could be turned into power structure into one, <laughs> right? Right, mm, And that sure. includes... That includes religion, but it's like, if if you had a fully atheist society, believe me, kings and queens would have found something else to <laughs> to, to justify their rule, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. They are the Uberist mensch.
0: Yes.
2: Uh, uh, and that's where I'm also, by the way, very envious of, like, Christians and uh, Jews, is that um, there's a much stronger strain of socialism and anarchism in... Uh, especially English history of those Mm, religions because like in, in Islam, like Islamic socialism has been systematically like destroyed since it ever became a concept. Uh, And like, uh, I think there was one anarchist newspaper in Pakistan that was uh, shut down by the government uh, after printing like five issues (laughs) <laughs> um, so it's stuff like that. I think that's like, you know, I, I do find a lot of solace and, uh, you know, guys like Amon Hennessy mm-hmm. or, you know, a sort of more, uh, broadly over like broad overview of like, you know, Jewish anarchism. Right. right. By the way, my family was the kind of family that like every Passover, it was like Christmas for us because we'd be able to get kosher turkeys, right? <laughs> right? Like, every Passover was like Christmas uh, to my Muslim family. That's, yes. so funny. <laughs> that's so funny.
0: I love that. I, I, I honestly don't know much about the sort of leftist history of, uh, of Islam beyond the fact that I know that the CIA in certain predominantly Muslim countries uh, in the 20th century would try to shut down any sort of uh, left-wing national movements. So, sorry about that.
2: Yeah, and also like Islam's also very specifically like in its in its interreligious schisms um, you know, rather than being localized like, you know, in Christianity it was largely localized mm-hmm. to for sure. England, to England, to Ireland, right? Like um, in terms of like how we interpret Protestant, Catholic, you know, violence and stuff like that, but Islam became such a global religion so quickly. And you
0: know, yeah, Christianity—it's its formational. Christianity was pretty limited to the Middle East, some North Africa, and Europe, and that's about it.
2: Yeah, and like even even with with Islam, right? Like it's 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 post Mohammedan like formational mm-hmm. element is based in like a very deep schism that happened right at the birth of the religion. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, like, like the Sunni Shia conflict. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the Sunni Shia conflict, you know, which which tends to be not gonna say overblown but over oh, sure. over examined in the context of like Islamic history and like mm-hmm. how we how we identify the personality of Islam so to speak mm-hmm. right um is yeah like it's it's a very like whole thing so it's like you know there are extremely reactionary uh elements of Islam it's like not it's you can't deny that oh that, sure but that has been colored through the whole history of the religion, which has actually made it very hard for stuff like socialism to make its way through. But it has, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, Islam is perhaps, of, of all the Abrahamic faiths, the one that's most compo- compatible with socialism in mm-hmm. terms of its, like, actual tenets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also one of the reasons that, like, um, you know, Abdullah Ocalan, and um, I know they're not Muslim, right? But, like, you know, one of the reasons that that um, Rojava uh, latched onto you know ideas of communalism so well, right? Is that right. it? It not only calls back to like you know things that people think should be in society, but it does speak to like a large majority of Muslims there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it very feel in a lot of ways. Like Bukchin is. And Ocalan, you know, through the lens of Ocalan, is speaking to uh, a very pervasive Muslim ideology that people are taught from birth in places like that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, again, I know most Kurds, not all of them are Muslim, of course, but yeah. But like, there is there is something there, and I I do firmly believe that. Yeah,
0: and and I think you know it's funny to hear you talk about it in, in sort of, of course, the context of Islam, because like. I have been told by Christians and I am told sometimes yelled at sometimes on Twitter that like Christians can't be socialists, you know, it's it goes against the core tenets of our faith. And so, you know, it, it just, you know, it, it's all particularly in these things, especially with Christianity here in the West, it being so interwoven with the hegemon uh, yeah, you that were could-
1: mentioning like the reactionary element of your faith, and it's just like, yeah, good <laughs> yeah. thing Christianity doesn't have, I don't know, 80% <laughs> of evangelical <laughs> Christians voting for Trump. Right. That would suck.
0: And, and so it's like, you know, it, at least in this context, you know, around the world, it's going to be different on, in the specific country we're talking about. In this context, because Christianity is interwoven with sort of power structures— uh anytime you want to challenge those power structures and you say you're a christian it's like it's a real issue you know yeah i think
2: that (laughs) for me like i wouldn't be able to call myself like you know i i'm loosely socialist even my twitter handle says i'm a socialist no like my politics are are full-on like murray bookchin style anarchism right um and like yes and oh Mm -hmm. hell yeah um, and it's like, you know, I use socialism as sort of a loose, you know, identifier of where I stand on a political spectrum more than my actual politics, because all of that's basically cosplaying until the revolution happens anyway. Um, you know, but like, but like, I don't think I'd be able to hold those beliefs without uh, also sort of thinking about myself as a Muslim. You know what I mean? I know that isn't true mm. for everyone, but I know that is very true for me. I'm of the opinion all of that is basically cosplay until we have a revolu- uh, an actual revolution where we can hash out what society will look like. But I know what my ideal society would want to be, and that's obviously, you know, again, Marie Bookchin-style, like, communalism, right? Um, but, like, yeah, like, I think I, I would have a hard time holding holding that as my sort of political belief without this idea of, like, no, I'm a Muslim, and this is, like, spiritually, this is a society that I want to see and want to feel like what I think I would feel spiritually whole in, mm. uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, my fa I grew up in a family where like my sister worked for the social democratic party in Canada, right? Like the NDP and like, yeah. all my siblings are nominally socially democratic, right? Like Bernie supporters, but they were happy. Kamala Harris is the first, uh, uh, black vice president, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah know the like, like <laughs> yeah like like that sort of stuff where it's like you know and and their beliefs definitely informed it uh informed like my politics and stuff like that mm-hmm. but i think that like being largely homeless and also like working a bunch of shitty jobs growing up and also you know the film industry and like the labor issues in the film industry did play a huge role <laughs> in like yeah. radicalizing me you know what i mean um but uh yeah, like, uh, but like growing up and around, like, where you were asked to like go volunteer when you were thirteen to be like for the Social Democratic Party of Canada, you know, the NDP. Um, right. Like, definitely already like sets up your beliefs, and for some reason, I just never had the outright rejection of them because that was never forefronted in my upbringing it was always that was always Mm. subdominant to like the Islamic part of our family which I did reject (laughs) yeah I mean (laughs) so it was like it was in the background enough that like I absorbed it without necessarily being annoyed at how much of it I was absorbing um and I think it like a lot of that spun off into like my own political development and also like you know when you're growing up you're obviously like a toxic man and I mean that very sincerely um, and trying to square the fact that like, yeah, I think we should, I think we should mm. socialize. We should nationalize things. And it's like, why do I like hold these views about women that make me really uncomfortable? Right. <laughs> you know mm. I mean, like going, going to like, not even maybe that consciously, you know what I mean? But like just being like, man, this relationship fell apart because I treated someone like garbage and, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, oh no, we need to find a way to reconcile this shit. And, like, you know, there's something wrong here because what uh, you know you're saying coming out of your mouth does not match up with, like, the uh, the moral mm-hmm. way you approach life, right? Does not, like, square up with the way you treat people. And it's like, oh, go further into the socialism rabbit hole, right? Like, read Abdullah mm. Ocalan, for example, right? You centers his political ideology around uh, the rights and treatment of women. And, like, you know, even back to, like, you know, Emma Goldman and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, yeah, there is, or Japan, uh, Ito Noe, right? The Japanese mm-hmm. anarchist who's amazing and everyone should read her. And you're like, okay, yeah, like this is this is foundational to like a a sort of socialist and communist project that is not just does not just pay lip service to like a a classless society, but also understands like social relationships without centering identity as like its primary motivator. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that that's key. Like I'm not I don't like the idea of of identity first politics. I like the idea of like sort of total emancipation. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you'd be you'd be an idiot not to consider, right. uh, you know, sort of patriarchy or historic forms of hierarchy or racism as part of a, a class project. Right. You have no, lower classes, uh, yeah. but there's still class stratification even in the lower or the working class. Right? Uh, <laughs> I was
1: talking about this with my partner the other day and just like her father was in a union uh, growing up and did a lot of great work, you know, struck with his union mm-hmm. for like, you know, many months, very challenging thing. But there was also, uh, it lacked the intersectionality of race. And so that, that the, the failure of that class project, because it was in fact, sort of not as, as class intentional in the way that like, you know, you, mm-hmm. I agree with you, I don't want identity first politics, but I also don't want class reductionist politics. I think, I think that both of these things are essential to building a project that actually like right. helps people that need help.
2: And, you know, if you if you do take on a a class first politics, it will always it will always inevitably encompass dominant and subdominant hierarchies of race. Right. Mm -hmm. Like South Africa, Mm -hmm. unionism in South Africa is a really good example of this for, you know, unions became a racial project as much as they became a class project. Uh, to the detriment of racial of racial justice in that country. Yes. Um. You know, and I I think that that's sort of really key to keep in mind. Um. And I think a lot of it is is understanding, sort of, uh, not racial like identitarian accountability without necessarily asking for f- blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm. I think that that like like restorative justice I think also needs to be like a a core tenet of what's communicated to even the labor movement right <laughs> even obviously yeah. there's limits to that uh you know never forgive a scab but like you know what i mean like, like never forgive a
1: scab or a bezos
2: absolutely um but no. like yeah like like you get what i'm saying like there is a, a sort of understanding of like oh this is where i am entering into this project and this is where i may not have realized i harmed you but that doesn't necessarily mean that like you know I need I personally must pay penance for it I must modify my behavior but like collectively a class project of which I'm part of that class should pay reparations right and it's like Mm -hmm. that isn't asking for that isn't asking for you know the quote-unquote white working class to prostrate in front of you know every black person they see that's asking for uh, an equalizing liberatory project that understands that within this working class there is a white sort of hierarchy that goes above a black hierarchy right like yes and even the contradictions within that and i think that like this is why i hate twitter even though i'm terminally online because like you can't <laughs> you can't communicate these ideas in like 140 characters you actually have to excuse have to me you have 280 and now read. <laughs> oh right yeah obviously yeah also put, this like, is an
1: anti-reading like, podcast so i don't know <laughs> what you're doing bringing up all these all these fucking all authors these books, yeah. with their thoughts and their books
2: but yeah like it sucks because like the discourse is so is is uh, again not reductive but it's it's impossible to communicate complex ideas without shop floor organizing yeah and i think and then there's the psyop shit that's just like it's classist to tell people to read and it's like fuck off you know i mean like like the the greatest thing i think roger ebert ever wrote uh was in his obituary for harvey picar um where harvey picar was a piece of shit by the way but <laughs> yeah, like um but like yeah. he, you know harvey picar was a cartoonist who who worked a shitty job his whole life and made money off of cartoon about hid the life of his like working class friends in pittsburgh right and it's like um and it's like he he spoke about like someone like harvey picar to him like represented like the the undying intellectual thirst of the working class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, you apply that sort of a paradigm to people like, um, you know, lecterns and Cuban cigar factories where they, they bargained to have someone read great works of literature to them as they're working on the shop mm-hmm. floor because yep. they were illiterate, right? It's like... The bosses got rid of that for a very specific reason because they didn't want an educated workforce. And it's like people can read. Yeah, <laughs> I mean like you can people will read if you give them a reason to fucking read something. It's not like right. it's not like we're so disenfranchised from our labor. Like you can sit down in front of a TV and watch watch television because it it <laughs> numbs the pain. But it's like, okay, now if if you know, your shitty T V show, if you know, NCIS is numbing the pain, let me give mm-hmm. you something that will actually you know maybe soothe that a bit more maybe act more like medicine
1: right no yeah, it, it, yeah the classism is not encouraging people to read the classism is assuming that people in the working class are incapable of reading incapable or unwilling to engage with these ideas
2: yeah and like the harvey p example is so good to me because it's like this was a this was a dude who just who just you know was just sort of you know overtly aware of of his situation enough or everyone is but like he just manipulated situation enough that he was able to like articulate it through a creative medium right whereas like so much of so much of sort of rote working class um like so much of the like the work that capitalism does to break down the working class is to inhibit their creativity first right uh this is this is a this is a you know, F slur job for like, you know, gay artists, you don't want to do that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like you're not going to make any money doing this job, do something productive with your neighbor oh, yeah. instead. Right. Like it's, it's very intentional. It's very meant to like, y- yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're, you don't have to take, you shouldn't take a humanities course that's, you know, for people with privilege and it's like, right. you know, it's true. That's a very common part of like the ruling class playbook, but I hate that. Mm. Like, A lot of, you know, very leftists I consider, you know, very smart and who I like talking to have adopted that same language um, and like manipulate it to to serve this idea of like a class first politics that they'll never achieve because they don't know how to communicate with human beings like or like articulate to human beings that they themselves like it's not just the class class could be greater. It's you yourself could be greater, Mm. right? Yeah. Like it's that you yourself could take this pamphlet, it dilutes marks into something effective. Like you know what I mean, like that's what, what labor organizers have done <laughs> since time immemorial is is you know, take marks and put it into like a five page, you know, pamphlet and then tell you to read more. Right. Nine yeah. times out of we'll read more, right? Yeah, exactly. The carlate, yeah. <laughs> he punches through he punches through the factory wall. You that's know. right, oh, yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean there's there's an intellectual chauvinism amongst so many so many people but it, it's just it's it's tiresome and it's tiresome the idea that people can't move past their own sort of you know it, the idea is that people are too simple to buy any of these things yes. you know that that's all it is it's it, it, it's it's just looking down on people it's the same it's the same version of you know the twitter discourse of today was somebody i think Matt Iglesias who should be in a gulag somewhere tweeted something about with the polls, right? Yeah. <laughs> with the polls. Yes, <laughs> they all should be in a gulag.
2: The polls are already in a gulag. It's called. <laughs> <Poland>. <laughs> Damn.
0: Damn, son. Um, <laughs> that was so savage. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just like, you know, you see these things often about like, well, blue parts of America split off from red parts. And it's like, well, where do where are all the poor and black folks in America? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and it's it's just this constant well, well, class chauvinism.
2: It it also extends to this idea that like a class emancipation must mean like class collectively whereas like that's not how human beings are primed to function. Like you could tell someone you deserve healthcare and like build a great campaign around that like Bernie did, right? But like if we're looking at like a truly not social democratic but like a truly revolutionary project, you need to tell people how great they themselves can mm-hmm. be, right? Everyone wants to be a fucking hero to their community, to their family, to their loved ones, to the to the world, right? It's like identifying, like, we could have a literal society mm-hmm. of, of people like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's like this... You have mentioned, like, the intellectual chauvinism, and I think that's a big part of it is this idea that, like, you know, training organizers on the shop floor and, and like, telling them, yeah, you know, you can say you're an organizer and be proud of that is, like, putting individualism first when it's, like... It, I think we also have to understand people are inherently individualistic as, as much as they are collective, right? And those two things don't have to be oppositional or be in tension with each other. Those two things can be um, complementary, right? Have you seen the movie for um, two days, one night? I have not highly recommend, highly recommend that movie. It's about a woman who's, who's about to get paid laid off from her job after having a mental health breakdown. And her boss uh, says that her coworkers can, it's a great fable. Like her boss says that her coworkers, if they, they vote on whether or not she keeps her job. And if, if she loses her job, her salary gets divided up amongst the rest of them. Right. And so she has two days and one night to go to all of her, to her nine coworkers and say, please don't vote to fire me right and she's seeing their their private lives and what they what that money means to them and what she means to them as well and how she tries to change that it's a fantastic movie but like it it articulates what i'm saying much more eloquently you know what
1: I mean? hey it um, wouldn't be a podcast if there weren't uh other options that would handle it better
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: no that's gorgeous
0: so abdul you were published in Jacobin this last week talking about sneakers why't you not for the first
1: time right not to article. brag but
2: uh, no I'm actually working on my third piece for them right now boom
1: <laughs> boom boom that's right that's right
2: uh, respect yeah it's it's funny like I never thought that my <laughs> my career in journalism would would be Sports, but uh, apparently that's what I'm most qualified to talk about <laughs> after watching the Toronto Raptors for years and years. <laughs> um, best team in basketball, by the way. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm sure both day. of you are Lakers fans, um, and I will, I will forgive you I'll forgive you your trespasses. Don't
1: worry, I'm just not a um, sports fan.
0: <laughs> uh, every, this yeah, Michael's is, way, worse that's... somehow. He doesn't even watch sports.
2: No,
1: hang on, hang on, hang on. Just to be clear, I grew up on sports my dad uh, grew up in north carolina went to hundreds of NCAA tar heels games. baby yeah uh, really we, we both attended the university of whatever whatever uh we both have some tar on our heels um <laughs> i i have seen the ice caps play long before the carolina hurricanes were ever a thing uh i have been to dozens if not hundreds of both durham bulls and carolina Mudcats games like, I, I have my sports bona fides, which is why I can say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, very briefly, I'm going to give you a very brief tangent. I was assault very briefly at a hotel in Toronto. Assault is someone who gets hired by a union Mm-hmm. with a fake resume to get hired at a pl- workplace and unionize it from the inside. Very legal gray area. Fucking I cannot tell cool you. is what that <laughs> I is. <bad laughs> I, I quit very quickly. I quit after like a month and change because it was so stressful. Yeah, um, But like, yeah, you turn in your your hotel paycheck for a union paycheck and like you have to check in. There's timelines you have to meet. But like, Shit. yeah, I was very briefly, uh, I was assault at a hotel in Toronto. Um, and I learned that every leftist or labor involved leftist which sh- every leftist basically <laughs> um should should either smoke or be a, sp- a fan of one major team sport or both yep. because there's no better way to make inroads with your co-workers <laughs> than by standing outside smoking with them or being able to talk talk about the game and you would be surprised like you think it's just the guys uh, the older guys in the office no Everyone has a sport and you just need to to be able to talk not even about their sport, but just about a sport in terms that makes them want to engage with you on that sport. I 100% promise if, if fucking more leftists stop using the word sports ball and just fall yep. out sports, you would make so one sport just you would make so many inroads in your fucking workplace it will seem miraculous and just you like it is such a good guide to organize
0: and, and just relationships in general it's one. The, i mean i, I follow sports on my own i like sports but like it's such an incredible bit of social glue to just like yeah. yes i mean i mean it helps i mean we live in la but like you know i grew up all over all over the states you know and just like It's always something you can talk about with someone terrible or someone not terrible. Like, it's just a way in. I
1: I just want to be clear. I am not anti sports, and I do make an effort, especially somebody that used to have to take, like, uh, if not public transit, then like Uber and Lyft in the before time. Mm -hmm. You know, not that that was acceptable in the before time, but before the corona, uh, I always made sure that I had at least one sports-related anecdote to be able to drop with whoever I interacted with. Because I do oh, care yeah. about being inter- able to interact with people. This is not an anti... This is not, oh, sports bad. This is just like, oh, man, I have done my time.
2: Oh, hell yeah. No, I'm saying... Yeah. I'm saying I know a lot of people who are like, sports is a bourgeois conceit or whatever. And it's yeah. like, fuck off. You know what I mean? No, like, no, definitely. No, it it, it, it plays... As... as
1: capitalist and awful as things like arenas are or you know as we were briefly talking about as things like paying teams to come to certain cities are like sports incredibly unifying
2: and uh yeah like you know with with sports i think there's also like an interesting class analysis to be made about like athletes as workers and like their labor struggles are often the most visible in and the most visibly examined by the way by a mass media that actively tries to deny any evidence of like labor organizing in the country like there's a lot of opportunity there right
1: wildcats striking the nba baby
2: yeah that was that was the article that actually blew me up that was the reason Jacobin reached out to me um was my my piece on the wildcats um and it's like yeah like i wrote this piece i guess to <laughs> stop this tangent because i know you're already going along i wrote this piece on like um Unlike sneakers in Jacobin, basically, I'm a huge sneakerhead. You know, 300, not 300, like, in total, maybe bought, sold, traded, that many. But, like, yeah, like, you know, 100 and something odd pairs. Um, most of them super rare, and uh, definitely my partner knows exactly how much they cost. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, like, um, and basically how, like, the sneaker market, like, the sneaker resale market, which, you know these are released in limited quantities and people buy them with bots that they've paid thousands of dollars for to resell them for thousands of dollars above retail. Right. Um, Basically is like a, an idea of like where capitalism is going. um, Because like in the future, there will be two choices and there, it will be the hustle economy or the gig economy. Um, And what both of these are, are completely designed to have workers exploit each other rather than, very specifically a boss at the top obviously exploiting the people at the bottom like it's abstracted through this idea of lateral exploitation like sneakers are a great example of this right where it's like you know people who, who find cultural value in or you know find value in wearing pure sneakers sneakers and feeling good no shame in that right Agreed. but trying to find some joy in this hellscape by buying a nice pair of sneakers that they think will make them feel whole as i do every time i spend too much money on a <laughs> pair um and it never quite fills the void but it does same
1: thing with albums man let me yeah. just tell you <laughs> uh
2: it it very briefly it does and it feels so good yeah you know oh, I mean? but like I mean, um
0: buying th- i i know we're all communists basically here but man buying things feels good every time <laughs>
2: oh hell yeah and it's like it's like one of these things where it's like you know you see these guys who are buying hundreds of pairs so that people who actually want to wear them end up paying hundreds uh, of dollars for that right like hundreds above resale sometimes thousands like i know zach what's let's let's actually get this out here what's the most expensive pair you've ever bought Ooh.
0: so like i have to make a confession here (laughs) Yeah, I I love sneakers. I'm big into sneakers. I am incredibly cheap. So that I, I, I I've okay. I've probably only spent two or three hundred dollars. Okay, what's the most expensive sale you've made? Uh, I'll put it that. Oh way. oh Ooh. oh. Ca- uh, Cactus Jack ones. I, I got those re. How much? I, I got, Holy shit. I got those retail. Yeah, and I sold them for like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars.
2: Oh man, I'm I've been looking at a pair uh for eight hundred. Uh, size 14 because i'm lucky to have big right, feet. you are um,
0: lucky that and that's that's a good deal because yeah. i because i i had like nine and a half tens usually and so yeah i won those, those always sell for those the, the most trials. i should have kept them in hindsight you should have oh, yeah. dead
1: stocked them i understand lingo because i read this article
0: yeah okay so uh, what's uh, the uh, most uh, expensive uh, pair of shoes you've either bought or sold uh <laughs> 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 just close that let me just close the door to my office <laughs>
2: but no um the most the most expensive pair i ever bought was uh the all white all Hallows eve oh i love um, those blazers yeah those
0: are great shoes uh those were
2: yeah those were about 1400 change okay um which granted uh, <laughs> there is there's is a caveat to that which is uh for my birthday this year which was you know a terrible birthday cuz we were in quarantine my partner did buy buy me the off white fives. <laughs> um, nice, which I'm sure were more. Those are great. I don't feel too too bad about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Because I I'm shameless, <laughs> uh, but I should. I mean, but it's yeah a hobby. like a uh, Whatever. It's one of those things where it's like it's a hobby and it's it's nice and you feel good wearing them and like I will say as a big guy, right? Like as someone who mm. who gained weight very rapidly when he stopped playing sports um like it's nice to actually like pay attention to what you wear and feel good about that's done wonders for my mental health and like it sucks that's so wrapped up in consumption but like yeah basically with with sneakers right like what we're seeing is this like turn to an economy that's like a financializing because people buy pairs and sit on them for like months and months if not years with the expectation the price is going to go up that's what Um, i did
1: with my all birds
2: oh hell yeah hell, hell yeah. yeah you know dog. those you just you just throw them in the wash and they y- look like they're dead y- you yeah. know
1: that that colorway, <laughs> and and the um the uh lit the i don't know any other terms but um
2: <laughs> um but yeah like like it's one of those things where it's like um you know a the emergence of the sneaker market mirrors the emergence of like financial capitalism in general yeah it's like you yeah. know uh people bought and sold sneakers locally uh, or, you know, even just traded them and stuff like that, um, then you see, oh, it's it's increasingly becoming popular and then people are like, oh, actually I can sell these for more than what they're worth. And then because there's limited quantities and now we have people who are like really making the most out of the scarcity stuff, even though it doesn't have to be this way from like a production Because, you know, Nike buys, sells, builds these for, like, five bucks. No one's going to deny that. There's exploitation there, right? But, like, it doesn't have to be this way at any point in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. But the financialization of it is the most interesting thing to me. Because it's like, oh, this is basically now an accessible stock market for people who are, like, BMW rich but not uh, Lambo rich. Right. Right. Right? Like, that's... That and and they can use that and then people think they can also do that and they go broke doing it but like it's still a hustle economy and you need to be like merciless and have no morals to do it and then you end <laughs> up going broke it's like you know and you see these emerge with like drop shipping you see these emerge with like sneakers mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah to me it's like really interesting cuz i do think in the future it's it's not just going to be sneakers and we're already seeing that point with like price gouging a during major disasters and like pandemics but soon we're going to be price gouging everything because people are going to buy up things in like these high in like high scarcity mindset and of course like brand value like we're already functioning a world of financial ephemera where brand value has replaced actual fucking output of goods and services produced right like the futures market the futures market is valued more than the actual productive output of goods and services on the planet already that's so absurd Um, yeah, seven hundred and fifty-eight trillion. I think is what the futures market is. <laughs> uh, don't quote me on that, but it but is it is definitely something that like ball that. Park. Yeah. No, it's it's I'm off I'm off by by ten billion dollars somewhere <laughs> here, right? Like or ten trillion dollars up or down. That's yeah, I know yeah. that as a fucking fact. So it's like one of these things where it's like, okay, so money will perpetually continue to kick its actual value down the line through futures markets and through financialization, um, and. It will also leverage things like scarcity to keep that value up while people (laughs) turn to exploiting each other for uh, not just luxury goods anymore, but like general goods and services. Or if you're not good enough to do that, you can work for Uber and make five bucks an hour. Right. (laughs) Like it's going to be it's going to be that's going to be the majority of like working class labor in 20 years and I I firmly believe that and like you know my piece is basically it doesn't have to be this way uh but Mm -hmm. sneakers are are a luxury portend of where we are going to go
0: right yeah no today today it's sneakers tomorrow it's potable water absolutely yeah which is now tradable right yeah
2: yeah I mean it's been tradable for a for a bit it's now just tradable as a as a right as a specific good rather than abstracted through a company or through uh, land like land rights from like stolen yeah, from indigenous point. people. Right. Like it's absolutely it's one of those things. Yeah. It's like, what's that attached to? What's the value that's attached to? Nothing like, you know, we, you could invest tons of money into a desalinization company that is finding a more efficient way to desalinate water or something like that. But in the same way that we're not investing in green energy, right? Like capitalism's entire construct will be to milk it till the resource is gone (laughs) and that's like exactly what we're seeing with water right now is like, Oh no, we're not going to look into like ways to like refresh water more efficiently or make sure that like, you know, we can desalinate to an environmentally friendly degree that still allows people access to water. No, we're just going to anticipate that water will one day run out and make a buck along the way. Right. (laughs) Which is horrific. It's uh, like, like that's, that's yeah. And you know, when we're in that world, um, Oh, you know, we'll be we'll be using bots to buy up flats of water bottles and sell them on the secondary market,
0: right? Whew. I um, I'm uh, I'm very excited for some Nike branded water. Let's uh, give me give me some. Okay, of that. give me those
2: space hippies, though. I don't oh, care God if they're it. not actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no space uh, hippies are so fucking good. Yeah. At the
1: risk of uh, doxing myself, I work not too far from the. Uh, block of Fairfax that houses many of the like, you know, streetwear brands and I I've grown used to uh seeing the lines outside of those stores, you know, nights or sometimes multiple nights in advance of a drop. And reading your article was sort of tragic because I I had seen all of this human effort and I just felt like, "Oh, like you know, these people that are doing something that doesn't necessarily make sense to me, but I thought maybe they were ahead of a curve, that they were understanding something, but actually they're already a little behind the curve compared to the bots, compared to the way that this, this process of resale and hypervaluation is already somehow past human labor that is willing to spend 36 hours, you know, sitting in the cold outside of a store. I
2: sat in negative 20 degree weather outside an Ikea to buy a clock that was designed by Virgil Abloh. And I know I was, (laughs) I know I was fucking losing the moment I got there because I saw all these people like hype beasts who, and again, like it's no wonder that most hype beasts come from immigrant communities because there's lots of Filipino people who brought their whole family to stand outside with them because they knew they could resell this $25 clock for 200 bucks. Right. Wow. Totally. And it's like, and and that's exactly what you're speaking to, Michael. Because it's like, again, like the the most interesting part of this is the bots is mm-hmm. actually the mm. the bots. Because it's like, oh, we don't actually have people on a stock floor on a on the stock market floor like trading shit anymore, right? It's all automated to such a high degree by like Bloomberg terminals, which cost you know a literal kidney. Um, and like oh the the bot market is exactly like that and of course the bots are a limited supply because yeah. the uh, bots because drop it,
1: the way the shoes do
2: yeah and you pay thousands of dollars oh, yeah. uh and r- on a bot and then it's like oh the companies are doing nominal raffles to like make sure everyone who <laughs> to make it more equal and it's like okay we'll just design a fucking raffle bot and sell it to people for five thousand dollars uh you know and shit like that and it's like oh no like like we are seeing the the transition from uh you know brokers on the floor or in this case standing outside a fucking um a store at at, you know 5 a.m which you know still happens but not to the same degree obviously to the complete automation of this system right like even the way that playstation fives and xbox ones have dropped is is staggering because it's it's now an acceleration of that because you're seeing it Oh, and, and, and seeing people who are not sneakerheads understand this for the first time, right? Like, they're seeing, why can't I buy a PS5? Bots? Like, what the fuck is this? And it's like, buddy, <laughs> buddy, like, this is... Oh, yeah. This is my, pass, yeah, my <laughs> yeah, and it's like, but it's like, oh, you're also understanding this, but you know what? A bunch of those people who are pissed off now, when the, Xbox, when the PS5, uh, PS6 drops, they're going to be the ones with the bots, right? They're going to be yeah. like, oh, I'm going to be able to cash right. in on this.
1: No, in some ways the entire world is tickle me elmo now, right? Like mm. Oh, totally. This is this has been going on for a long time and that, and I I thought one of the best parts of your incredible piece which everyone should read is the artificialness of the scarcity. That this is this is entirely constructed. There's no there's no lack of shoe leather or child labor or rubber involved. This is strictly a, a matter of like Okay, well, we're only going to make X of this because we know if this exists at X, then it will exist for us at Y and for resellers at Z. Um,
2: one of my one of my favorite thought exercises I ever did that, um, one of my uh one of my old co-hosts on my old podcast, which I will not mention by name, uh, got mad at me at was when I entertained what. Sneaker drops would look like in like a library socialist society, (laughs) where (laughs) I was like, and they were like, "Are you fucking dumb? Like, why this is this is a sickness in your (laughs) brain, right?" And I'm like, "No, but it like, you know, Mm. there's only X amount you can create, but uh, like in in a borrowing world, right? Like, none of this needs to exist because people will will take it and get what they want out of it. But there's no value to be had except the value to you, right? Like, even the idea of scarcity." As something that makes you want something doesn't have to be wrapped up in commodification. Mm-hmm. It really does not. Like it can be wrapped up in, oh, I'm going to wear this for a wear these for a couple of of months and like feel good, and then like once I want the new shoe, you can bring the shoe back so someone mm-hmm. else can wear it, and like you know someone can you know, the value of their labor and like what they productively add to society is refurbishing things like luxury goods, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, and so other people can enjoy them and, and, you know, for that's a service they give in exchange for, you know, a basic minimum of living and stuff like that. Right. That's uh, should be very comfortable, but it's like, it's stuff like that where you think about like, what are the, the things that excite you that, that make you, you in terms of your hobbies and stuff like that. Right. And, and the solution isn't necessarily to, like overproduce goods, Um, although that you know we could do that pay people a living wage and make it environmentally uh, stable like we really could do all of those things at once Um, but like but if you don't even want to if you challenge that on environmental or, or you know consumption level which I think is wrong but if you do it's like we also like need to think about the way that money specifically sort of corrupts the idea of like oh we like having something that we know is ours right that we know is like special to us and that like I'm happy I have a pair of, of off white fives, right? Because I know that I'm one of relatively few people in the world who owns a pair of, of, of off white fives, right? Um or like the bodega New Balance or whatever my favorite sneakers are, right? Oh man. I
0: literally went into Bodega to sign up for that raffle.
2: Because it's an Oh yeah, the the No Bad Days is my second favorite shoe oh, I own. Yeah.
0: It's an incredible shoe. Yeah. Oh no,
2: it's it's absolutely incredible. New Balance is killing it. Low key um why why all
1: birds when you can have some
2: birds (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like like you know even even the way we think about stuff like that is like you're allowed to have things that are special to you that you know no one else has but like you also Mm -hmm. have to understand those things won't be special to you forever um and and especially if there's no profit motive attached to them there's going to be a day where you're going to want you know, I'm going to want the next Bodega New Balance, and this one might be a little passe, right? Like, and one day I will not have any bad days and then therefore have no reason to wear those Bodega New Balance because I specifically wear them on days where I feel like shit <laughs> yeah, because I'm a sick person. <laughs> um, you yeah, know I mean? It's like, oh, now it's like better days ahead. So, you know, you, you bring those back and you, you swap them out for the other pair, right? And it's like, no, I'm still one of the few people who has these, but someone else is going to be able to, someone with bad days is going to be able to wear these uh, other sneakers that I no longer want or have a need for. Right. It's like, we really need to start thinking about like a transition to a post to post capitalist society. If there ever will be one, you know, maybe I'm pessimistic about there not being one, but like um, needs to be understood in the terms of what, what people collectively and individually like about capitalism, because there are things that I think we need to square with the fact that we enjoy uh, and that doesn't make it right, but that also makes it, it, it tickles some part of us that is deeper than just like, oh, is it capitalism or socialism? It's something about us that like makes us sort of interested in things and, and makes us feel like, you know, we're, we're special individual people, right? And like, again, I go back to sneakers and like, how does a luxury market like sneakers work in this world how can you even make it work right could you potentially have a sneaker lending library <laughs> you know i mean or would people just borrow the sneakers and then sell them on the market and like toss out their uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> uh right. you know toss out their membership or something like that but i think these are actually like very valuable questions to have when looking at how to articulate through action i don't like using the word praxis but like through action um teaching people that a better world is possible. And it starts with like, you know, in your communities. And that also includes the sneaker communities, by the way. Right. Like that is a community. People rely on each other. People have friendships and like long-term relationships within it. They're not just always business relationships, right? Like you and your cook group, uh, for those who don't know, cook group is a group of people who set up on like (laughs) discord to collectively buy 5,000 pairs of sneakers. They can resell. Right. Right. Maybe one day maybe yep. one day you're part of a cook group like I am and you look at the person next to you and say, This is really fucked up that we're doing this, that we're creating 600 accounts uh 600 <laughs> gmail accounts from 600 different See, fake like addresses you sort of have me with this idea bot, right? of like
1: luxury lending library and then you start talking about cook groups and i'm like no fuck all of this this is all garbage <laughs> but like burn it all but
2: down like, no you 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 one day you're gonna look at the other guys in your cook group be like we're spending a full-time job's worth of time creating fake addresses <laughs> and fake gmail <laughs> accounts or putting through po boxes so that we can create accounts that our bot can then process payments through with like fake credit cards through like an American credit card spoofer or whatever. Like this is fucked up. We shouldn't have to do this to have like one (laughs) pair for us and also make rent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's like, Oh, what, what, what can we do instead? Could we just do this for ourselves and make sure we get things, but like, Oh, uh, what else can we do to make money? Or, how can we make this less fucked up because people hate us for what we're doing and we don't even feel good about ourselves, right? It's like no one's, no one's, uh, very few people are are at the point of like a Bezos where they have no feelings about the exploitation and harm they cause, right? Even on a, especially when it's like people in your community or people around you or, you know, you see a guy, you you go to sell sneakers to someone, uh, you know, in a neutral spot where, you know, in person or something like that and you, you just know that they... That they can't afford them, but they're giving you this money anyway, right? And it's like, oh no, do mm-hmm. you do you really feel good about this? No, of course you don't. But it's like you justify it by saying this is what I need to do to make it, right? It's like, how do we how right. do we deconstruct that? in the communities are in whether they're sneakers, whether they're you know your workplace, whether it's anything, your apartment. You know, tenants organizing
0: is a great example of this. One hundred percent. I'm jealous I, I I remember when you sent me the article, I was like, ah, I had thought for years. The, one of the fascinating things about sneakers is like it's like the reinvention of commodities, the commodities market. And then like you used it to unpack all of capitalism. And I was like, oh, you just had a better idea. Oh, no, <laughs> so. I, I appreciate that a lot. I, I really do. It's, it's weird when people read what I
2: write. I, I'm still not used to it.
1: I am incredibly grateful for this conversation. This was such a good time. Uh, wide ranging and, uh, and, and yes. interesting all along the path. I, I it's nice to talk to somebody who knows things. That's not usually our vibe. Uh so no. that was fun. Uh, I
2: Would know never. I know nothing. I am like the second we're done this, I am going to jewel while you know, <laughs> sitting on my doo-doo ass and playing yes. cyberpunk. Like that is my my next two days goal while I <laughs> research the fucking N- nhl cba for jacobin <laughs> <Like this> is, <laughs> yeah.
1: abdul where can people find you if they want to know more about what you write uh what you oh, do shit. what you tweet <clears throat>
2: um yeah you can you can find me on twitter at socialist my plugs are also long because i, I unfortunately am multidisciplinary hell yeah um, <laughs> go go off uh you can you can find me on twitter at socialist raptor uh if you don't like sports you should mute the word Raptors before following me. Um, I just (laughs) updated, uh, I updated my website recently with all, but my last published article, which I should do tomorrow. uh, AbdulYMalik.com. dot com. .com. That's where most of my published work from this year is. Um, And uh, I do have my, I sold a screenplay uh, last year, uh, which got produced by one of Canada's bigger studios which Fuck is very yeah. nice. Um yeah, uh, yes. I still haven't joined the union yet because I'm I'm waiting uh to get enough work to justify joining the union, but one day it'll come. But yeah, like uh you, that film will be in theaters or on a major streaming service probably in early to mid next year. Um so Hell keep yeah. an eye out
0: for that. Well- we'll have to have you back on to talk about it
2: it's it is very interesting because it is a very like liberal feel-good movie like with those politics <laughs> and writing it was a really interesting thing it's like the kind of movie i would hate watching but my dad would love <laughs> like a, a, a good immigrant story you know what i mean
0: and it's like yes it, it was a very the, you wrote the kamala harris biopic
2: yeah exactly i wrote yeah. i wrote you know um from Harvard to Harris. I don't know. I can't think of an Indian city. <laughs> from, I can't think of an Indian city with, that starts with an H. From Hyderabad to Harris. That's a, uh, yes oh, it. Is. There we um, go. Uh, but yeah, or from Wasipur to the White House. That's a better title. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, yeah. Um, no, it's actually called Peace by Chocolate. and It's about Syrian refugees who opened a chocolate business in Canada. It's based on a true story. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a fine movie. But yeah, the experience of making it was really interesting. And I'm really proud of what we did. Within the limitations that we had, like both politically and, and narratively, so yeah.
1: That sounds amazing. I look forward to seeing that, and uh, you know, come having you come back on to roast your liberal politics.
2: Yeah, if I still had a movie <laughs> podcast,
0: I would be doing that on my movie <laughs> podcast. Well, my name is Zachary Allard. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary my underscore My name is Allard. Michael Tabor.
1: You can find me at Michael Tabor.
0: And if you want to follow the pod, follow the pod at uh, Shitty underscore Pod. If I can ask you two things before uh next week it's rate and review us on itunes and dismantle capitalism from the ground up